Welcome to the Financial Insight Podcast, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast covering everything you need to know in the financial services industry. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Wherever appropriate, independent research, and wherever necessary, legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. The value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested. The Financial Insight Podcast is for investment professionals only. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Financial Insight. Today we are speaking to Ian Lowes. He's the Management Director of Lowes and founder of Structured Product Review. Today we're going to be talking about structured products. So, Ian, perhaps we can kick things off and talk about what structured products offer an advisor and what they offer clients. None of us know where the markets are going to go in the short term. Um, We all know where we expect them to go over the medium to long term, but we don't know by how much and when. Um, A lot of us rely upon active managers to try and get out as much of the gain as we possibly can, try and limit the downside. Some of us rely upon just passive trackers and hope for the best in terms of long-term market performance. What a structured product does, certainly, there are are so many variations of structured products. So let me just talk about the mainstay of the market now, which is a FTSE order core. This will give us, for example, a 7.5% gain for each year it's in force, maturing on the first anniversary that the FTSE is higher than where it was at the beginning. Now, I don't know about you, but a 7.5% gain is pretty decent in today's market. And uh, you know, we can try and eke out greater returns, and we obviously have portfolios that try and get better returns than 7.5%. But as far as a, a, an investment portfolio is concerned, if an investment manager can get you a consistent 7% return, they're doing all right. So here we have a, an investment which will not mature until the first anniversary that the FTSE is higher than where it was. That might be in two years' time. We usually like to have at least a two-year gap between start and first maturity. And if not, it will mature on the third anniversary, when it will give you 21% gain, i.e. three times seven. If not, on the fourth anniversary, when it will give you a 28% gain. If not, the fifth anniversary, you get the picture. So let's assume that your fifth anniversary is a 35% gain. And by definition, the FTSE 100 index has gone pretty much sideways or down and then only just recovered. So here I am getting a 35% gain at the end of five years because the FTSE is higher than where it was at the beginning. Now, the downside of these contracts is that Um, The market could be up 80%, and here you are getting a 35% gain. Well, it isn't going to be the only thing in your portfolio, so you are hopefully going to benefit from that significant rise if it does happen using other investments within the portfolio. Equally, if you get to the end of the term and the market hasn't been higher, you've got to ask yourself what the rest of your portfolio has done, because this isn't something peculiar. This is the FTSE 100 index or a similar index that's gone sideways over a seven or eight or 10 year period. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I'd rather have the longer possible duration. So I have more opportunities for this thing to mature, adding 7% for each year. But let's say we get to the end of the maximum eight year term. The FTSE hasn't been higher. You will just get your capital back if it's not higher on the eighth anniversary, or you will suffer a loss if it's say 35% lower than it was at the beginning. Now, consider what's happened in the markets and what the rest of the investment portfolio has done. It hasn't done very well. Um, You might do better than if the market's down 35%, lose 35%. But let's accept that you didn't expect that to happen from the beginning. You expected the market to rise. So if you expect the market to rise, and if it is higher on one of those anniversaries, you're getting a 7.5% or 7% simple return for each year. 
um, you've done very well. Now, you wouldn't put all of your eggs into that basket and you might stagger the contract because you have a counterparty risk. So apart from staggering your start dates and therefore your potential maturity dates, you might also diversify your banks so that you have some Goldman Sachs some Morgan Stanley, some HSBC, some Barclays, et cetera, so that if one of these goes bust, you're not massively exposed. Again, accept that if one of these goes bust, you are exposed whether you've got a structured product or not. You can't have a bank like Barclays collapse and not have some impact on the rest of your portfolio. If they all go bust, it's probably time to think about heading for the hills with a shotgun. Um, but it's a risk that you need to acknowledge. So when we put these alongside the rest of the portfolio, certainly in benign market conditions where the market's just going up by a few percent, these investments are performing phenomenally. Now, if you don't think the market's going to go up or you want to potentially reduce the risk of no positive return, you can have a step down contract where the market can actually be lower at the end of the term by up to 20 odd percent um, and you still mature with the gain. Um, so obviously, the gain would be less than it would have been if you needed the market to be higher. So these have done exceptionally well because the market has been such that yeah, it's gone effectively sideways over a four-year period or down, I think it you know, might be a few percent down over a four-year period. And yet these investments are maturing with a, uh, with a 28, 30% gain. Um, yeah, I can't say more than that. It's a, it, they have proved phenomenally good and they continue to perform phenomenally well um, other than in extreme market circumstances. Now, as I understand it, you were once a naysayer of structured products. And now, of course, you're a, uh, a, a passionate advocate of them. So perhaps you could explain this. Okay, I'm going to correct you there. I was never a naysayer per se. We were just highly critical of some structures that were being offered in the market that were going to be detrimental. They looked detrimental. You know, it didn't take a genius to work out that these things were not good investments. Um, what happened was we had built a PR profile warning about these particular negative aspects of the sector, um, only to find a situation when they all did blow up and we got journalists on the phone saying, didn't you say all these structured products were evil? And the answer was no, we didn't. We said some of them were bad. Um, and the fact that some of them were bad came to pass, but the good stuff never got any prominence. And so we felt that it was time to be on the other side of the fence and just try and balance that, uh, that viewpoint that all structured products are not bad any more than all oiks are bad simply because of one bad manager or one failed issue. Um, so it was more a case of trying to, to, to defend our position as well, because throughout this period, we had been recommending the good investments. Um, and what I didn't want to have is picking up a, a newspaper saying all structured products are bad because it's just wrong. So um, we just ended up passionate about it because there was so much negative comment when in reality, these were very good investments and people were missing them because they were being misled by the, um, by the misinformation. Okay, great. Now, shall we take it back to why some advisors might have a, a negative association with structured products? Specifically, what I'm thinking about is the collapse of Lehman Brothers in 2008. Lehman Brothers were counterparty to less than 1% of the structured products in the UK retail space. Um, but when they collapsed, obviously, it became very prominent. And some people didn't know that they had a Lehman's backed contract. That is arguably excusable to some extent because there was a regulatory question over whether you could name the bank. And if you named the bank, you then end up caught under a separate set of regulations so that the name of the bank was not prominent in the literature, albeit it was available if you asked. 
And of course, many people had bought contracts backed by Lehman Brothers and they didn't even know they had the Lehman Brothers back contract. Now, in most cases, the literature was clear um, and it told you that you had a counterparty risk. And if the counterparty bank went bust, um, then you, uh, you, you would suffer a potentially significant loss. Um, but in a lot of cases, the literature wasn't clear. The advisors hadn't made it clear. Um, ultimately, people who had invested in these contracts either got their money back through the FSCS because the provider or the advisor hadn't um, made the risks clear um, or got them back through the advisor. Or if you had to go through the recovery process um, to get it through the insolvency of Meteor, um, it took several years, but most people got between 70% and 97% of their capital back. But that was that was a 10-year process to get that money back. But what the problem was in 2008, 2009, was this sudden shock um, to people who didn't understand that counterparty risk was uh, an issue with structured products. Um, and there was a lot of questions um, asked as to whether you were prepared to take the risk. Um, my view was that if you have a portfolio of diversified investments, including a portfolio of structured products, and you're covered by several banks, um, HSBC, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley and Barclays, well, you've diversified that risk. Um, if all your investments are in one basket and that basket was backed by Lehman Brothers, well, um, you have to ask some questions as to whether common sense or, 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 common, or good advice was prevailing or not, I would suggest not. So this, this shock to the sector, uh, if you picked up any media coverage in 2009, you would have felt that every structured product that was ever issued was backed by Lehman Brothers. It was far from the case. Um, and the vast majority, um, in fact, the rest of the structured products were continuing to do what they said on the tin. And all the contracts backed by Barclays, Morgan Stanley were performing exceptionally well, but you couldn't hear through the noise of um, the, the, uh, the, the, the negative comments about structures simply because of the Lehman Brothers issue. Um, it was at this point where we decided that it was time to, to step up for the sector. Um, we had spent quite a few years, the part of early part of that decade, dismissing um, structured products or many of the structured products because of the precipice bond issues and warning people about them. But we felt that the tide had definitely turned and there were some exceptional investments out there that people and advisors were just dismissing um, through a lack of understanding. So this is when we set up Structured Product Review with a view to trying to um, provide greater transparency over the sector and help educate advisors as to, to what the sector has to offer. Very interesting. Ian, now I don't want to put you through the ringer too much with this interview, but I do have a question that was raised to me recently about Structured Products. And it is, if Structured Products are so great, why did Investec leave the market? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Investec were participating in the structured product market as a method of raising capital for, their, um, for the bank. Um, banks raise capital through a variety of different means. And ultimately, for the Investec bank, structured products were just one of those methods. Um, they had the opportunity to do so because they um, employed the derivative team from another bank um, in 2007, I think it was. And it, it was a very successful um, proposition for them. Unfortunately, the people who were behind the original uh, evolution of that part of Investec subsequently departed the bank. It was left to be run by the people who remained and people who were drafted in. And I think, and I can't, I can speculate, I think ultimately it becomes just another part of a bank, which if you don't understand it fully, it becomes a bit of a pain. And did the bank really need to maintain that going forward? Um, so it just became a different business focus for them. Um, 
I think it was a crying shame to see them depart from the market. It's a loss to retail investors. It's a loss to advisors. But they were one of several banks and several participants in that sector. Um, and it's been very quickly, the hole that they've left has been very quickly filled by, um, well, certainly by another provider coming in, utilising Barclays, who had been absent from the market for several years. Um, and no disrespect to Investec, but I've got a choice between Barclays credit and Investec credit. I'll take Barclays. Um, but equally, I will take a diversified portfolio across several banks. So it is a loss to see them gone. Um, it, they had a, an incredible machine running where there was a, a significant client base. Um, the real reasons and the deep reasons, I will never know. That's a question for the bank. Ian, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me today. Below this podcast on the IFA website, I've shared a link to the Structured Product Review. I'd advise any advisor who's interested in structured products to check it out. Ian, thank you so much for chatting to me today.